everyone, and welcome back to Slapcast. This is episode 6 of our coverage of the 2021-22 season. I'm your host, Gage, as usual, and we are back again to discuss some of the action over the course of the last week in the Premier League, both games and a lot of off-the-pitch stuff actually happened this week as well. Uh, I'm fresh off the back of a midterm, which is, you know, hugely exciting uh, for everyone. Um, And I'm joined by two fellows who are fresh off the back of punishing weeks as well. Uh, Firstly, Ethan. Hello, Ethan. Hello, Gage. You may uh, notice a staunch increase in Ethan's audio quality as well because uh, he's sporting a brand new microphone. Uh, Yeah, I've gone from a gamer headset to professional, so... Yeah, now we just gotta get, get more more from me. We just gotta get Josh on the train. <laughs> yeah, I think you needed it most. I should have donated it. And then, uh, then we've got Reese as well. Hello, Reese. Hello, I'm also fresh off a of midterm, so I'm there with you. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, it is that that time of year. October is not a forgiving month for for college students. Um, well, Josh is on the bad audio train, but he's not on the episode six train, unfortunately. Uh, he's not here with us today because he's, <laughs> and I, I'm going to quote from him and say he's down in the valley uh, doing some stuff for, <laughs> for ROTC because that's literally what he told us. Um, so whatever that means, I don't know what he's doing, but that's what he's <laughs> shooting people. <laughs> Oh, God. He's not gonna forget. He's not gonna forgive us for saying that. He's gonna be like, dude, you can't say that. <laughs> so, yeah. While Josh is down committing uh, hate crimes in the valley, uh, we're gonna move on. To other- <laughs> we're, we're, we're gonna move on to other stuff. He's not for the right. Let's set that straight. He's not committing hate crimes. Um, he's also not shooting people. Him. I know for stuff he didn't it's even do. Bad, bad audio and. What he does for a living. This is this is what happens when you don't show up for the podcast. You get put yeah. on. You get put on blast. I mean, he'll we're just gonna never... make up lies about him. Yeah, he won't it's know. Not like he can stop us. <laughs> he won't know. Oh uh, wow. Yeah. So, yeah, lots of lots of things happening in the prem this week. Um, notably off the pitch as well. Quite a few notable events. First of all, I, I guess we'll start with this just because I find it hilarious and because we were just talking about it uh off off camera off recording um Watford have parted ways with their manager which I think since we've started doing the podcast regularly is a sentence that I've said at least four or five times and they've been in the prem for two-thirds of this podcast (laughs) so yeah utterly ridiculous I mean this some of the ones that they've done in past seasons have made a little bit of sense this one does not I like, I understand yeah, that they've lost four of seven, but they're 15th. They've scored plenty of yeah. goals, more than Spurs and Arsenal. What are they doing? I don't know. They're not, they're, it's like, they're not even in relegation, which would presumably be the goal of the season. Yeah, it has to be. Their only goal is to stay up, surely. I mean, because that squad is not great. No, it's like they've got uh, Sar. Yeah. That's it. yeah, and it's a, it's like an assembly of misfits, really. Like, there's just a ton of misfits from around, like, the Prem and around other leagues across Europe. I mean, Uri Kuchka, I never thought I would see Uri Kuchka play in the Premier League, but here we are. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I'm not I'm not sure what, what exactly their, their plan was on that. I, I honestly wonder, like, if, if they planned to do this all along, like, to get rid of Cisco Munoz yeah. as soon as someone that they liked better came along, like... 
Because I think it's strange though to replace him with Ranieri because yeah, it, I it, he has not had like a successful tenure since Leicester, and that was yeah. like a freak incident too. Like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how much that was due to him. It was more like just the players being the players. It was just everything in the world going the way that they needed it to in that moment. Yeah. Like, yeah, so I I don't get it. Ranieri was garbage at Fulham. Uh, their their tenure, his tenure there was not successful. Granted, mitigating circumstances, a Fulham squad that was, like, pieced together in the most ridiculous of fashions and um, a team that was already struggling when he arrived. But still, I mean, I, I has he had a job since then? I think he was managing in Italy somewhere, if I remember yeah, correctly. Yeah, I think he was. Um. Let me do Maybe it. he had a really great tenure there. I don't know. Good enough that he's not there anymore, apparently. Yeah. I mean <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I feel is, like he's just not he's not known for keeping teams up aside from uh he is great escape. Sixty nine years old. Uh which no! is, you know what? Uh, you know what? Back. You know <laughs> He actually was not even manager during the Great Escape Reese. That was Nigel Pearson. Really? That was Nigel Pearson. <laughs> yeah, so then so then I would think if they're going to replace him with anybody, they'd want to look at, uh, you know, somebody who's known for keeping teams up. Nigel Pearson, uh, who also was sacked by Watford in the last 18 months. <laughs> that <laughs> like, did happen. Yeah. Oh, oh my yeah. Gosh. Utterly, two days before the end, or two games before the end of the season, too. Absolutely ridiculous. Um, yeah, he was manager at Sampdoria until the end of last season, at which point he was relieved of duties. I, that's all it says. On the Wikipedia page, I don't know. So he was sacked. Yeah, essentially. Uh, I mean, also, what, what by the they... way, Roma. Yeah, he went from Fulham to Roma. Really? Yeah, he was Roma manager before Fonseca. Did he get sacked at Roma too? He lasted less than six months. So, yeah. Um, so this is such a strange appointment. I yeah. mean, I do know that. I know that Watford have like a proclivity towards Italian managers because their ownership group is Italian. I can't remember the sure. name of the family that owns them. Uh, I'm gonna go quickly look as fast as possible. Um, they also own oh uh, the Pozzo family. That's right. They also own uh, Udinese in Italy and Granada in Spain. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Just such a. Odd. It seems like such an unnecessary risk because uh, it's not like they're really in danger right now. Yeah. yeah. And I thought Watford, I thought, like, I'd been pretty impressed with some of the, the football that they've been putting out, too. Like, um, yeah. they beat Villa on opening day pretty convincingly. Like, they, they were pretty good. At, granted, they lost to Spurs, but I thought they were pretty good on the They were the better team on the day, I thought. Um, they only really lost to Leeds because of a individual error. Yeah. Yeah, and I I mean 7 points from 7 games, that that'll keep you up. A point a game will keep you up in the prem now. Um so I I mean I don't know. I I just can't wrap my head around the thought process on this one. Because Watford like surely it's not so short-termist as they want to like they think 15th isn't good enough, right? I mean or do they? Do you honestly like? Do they honestly think they should be higher than fifteenth in the table right now? Surely not. Yeah. I mean, I I, I don't know. I feel like they might be too high. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, I think Leeds. there's some. Work, yeah. I think Leeds is a way better team than them. They're ahead of Southampton, which you know Southampton had a 
they got ransacked in the transfer window. But yeah. Uh, but on paper, yeah, I, mean, I would still call them a more cohesive team than Watford. Yeah, I would. I would definitely think they're overperforming right now. Yeah, I I tend to agree, and I'm. Just I, mean, I had them getting relegated. I I have I have them I finishing seventeenth. I think so. Just outside, I mean, I I ugh, I don't know. Yeah, so what a strange decision. I mean, I know Watford sack managers pretty frequently, so we shouldn't be that surprised, but this just feels like the most ridiculous of them all. <laughs> like, it just yeah, feels the most the baseless. We could think of a reason. Yeah. And, like, in the in the, the last season that they were at the Prem before now, they ended up getting relegated, so obviously the results were substandard to a degree where sacking the manager actually makes sense, but to this point, we haven't seen evidence that they're going to get relegated. I mean, yeah. so... Yeah, I mean, I would definitely say there's three worse teams in the league right now than them. Well, one of them is Newcastle, which we'll get onto in a minute. But um, yeah, so maybe not then. I don't know. But well, Newcastle is not going to improve until January, and even then, like, true. how much can you really do in January? Yeah, I mean, we're going to find out. Um, we are going to find out. So I guess that, I mean, provides a nice little segue. Then uh, we can talk about the the Saudi consortium uh, buying. Newcastle United. So we've got another oil um, titan in the Premier League, aside from City and Chelsea, who are uh, backed by Russian oil and uh, Emirati oil, respectively. So we'll see where this goes. I, I mean, this honestly feels more like a philosophical discussion than an actual footballing discussion. Yeah. Um, because obviously... Everyone is pretty familiar with the fact that a lot of these nation states in the Middle East are, you know, frequent violators of human rights, um, and there's a lot, a lot left to be desired from the way that their societies stand at this moment. But like, if you were a Newcastle fan, like, what if either of you put yourselves in the shoes of a Newcastle fan? Like, how do you react to? Like, what is the appropriate reaction to this, considering especially how bad? the reign of Mike Ashley was or how like yeah. painstaking it was like what's the appropriate reaction I mean I think it'd be you would have to have a very 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 strong moral compass to not be excited yeah because to just suddenly have a huge pile of money at your disposal is uh I mean like other fans, if they start winning stuff, other fans will say, "Oh, you bought your trophies," but they'll just be like, "Okay, who cares?" Like, <laughs> you have to now. Yeah, yeah, and I I saw this discussion. It was like, because True Jordy was really happy about you know Newcastle being bought, but um, a long time ago he said that like big oil is like ruining football and it's like taking away these like little wins for smaller clubs. But he was really happy about that. And I mean. I feel like we would all be happy if our clubs were given a crap ton of money, but it's like, just depends on which team gets it, and you're like, oh, pointing the fingers, And but if it actually happened to our club, you'd be really happy about it. Yeah, it's impossible to say, like, if someone comes in and buys Spurs tomorrow with, you know, a consortium of money from a, a morally derelict place, then, like, <laughs> how are you supposed to react? Because you can't just, I mean, the... The moral answer is technically to just boycott the club until they're gone, but you yeah. can't ask that of people. 
Like, yeah. especially in a place like Newcastle where this club is so tied to the city's identity. I mean, like, it's because so, it, Newcastle is very much like a working class city. It's a manufacturing town. Like, you know, these people pay hard-earned money to go to these games, and, and it's also tied to your family and your friends and everything else. So you can't just stop supporting the team, you know? Um, yeah. I would also think if if this happened to Arsenal, like if if we just suddenly had, I mean, we're it's it's we are not a destitute club by any means. We have quite a bit of money to use, but you know we're still not really competing in the same ballpark as Man City, Chelsea. Um, let's say you know in a week we just suddenly have quite a bit more money at our disposal, and we just start buying these star players. Um, I would like to think that the wins would feel a little more hollow, even if I was excited. Like, I would definitely feel as if we just bought wins. But on the other hand, I I think I only think that's because a huge amount of money for Arsenal would be able to improve us um, quicker. I think the Newcastle project will actually take a lot longer because you still have to think about if Newcastle now has all this money, they still can't really out of nowhere attract you know, like Mbappe. I know that was a big meme on Twitter, like, oh, Mbappe's going to Newcastle. But realistically, Mbappe is not going to join Newcastle because the other players they have. I mean, Newcastle would have to improve their squad slowly over time because they can't attract big star names unless the rest of the team surrounding them is better. And the quick answer is like, well, just buy a whole new team. But it it would work for each individual position. Like, they're not going to want to come unless the other positions around them are at the same standard. Yeah, and this is one of those things that we, we actually, or I mentioned before we started too, is is like, I think it's, I honestly think it's going to be more difficult for Newcastle to build up and break into the elite of the Premier League than it was for City when they had this happen to them in 2008. For a couple of reasons. I mean, firstly, because the market has changed so much and so quickly in the past decade or so. I mean, the landscape of football is completely different than it was whenever City received this backing. Like, and for another thing, I think, like, teams are a lot more likely to hold out for immense valuations on their players now to Newcastle. Not that the Saudis can't afford it, but I think it's just going to be a lot more difficult to unentrench teams from the positions that they're in yeah. Um, for Newcastle. And I mean that both financially and as far as the, the, the playing style. I mean, I think just the general competence of teams across the league has increased exponentially. Um, I th- like Look at Everton, for example. Everton are a club that have spent, by the way, a ton of money, like a ludicrous amount of money on their squad over the past five seasons. And they still haven't really... M- moved upward if anything they've regressed like you know they've they've spent money to get in these champions league winning players and managers like ancelotti and and james rodriguez granted neither of whom are there currently but those are the kind of things that you would expect newcastle to be doing here in the next few seasons and it hasn't i mean it's it's hasn't worked for for everton so like this money isn't just a cheat code like you still have to do it right and credit to city i mean they they did obviously um and i think people would care a lot less about city's 
backing if they weren't so successful, you know, like if City had wasted their money and they languished around, if they were like the modern day Everton, then people wouldn't care, Um, you know, because they they weren't successful. So there there is a, a bit of the success is obviously tied to the moral weight of the situation, but anyway, um, yeah, I don't know. How do you guys, how do you guys think, uh, what's the first step for them? I mean, is it, is it to remove Steve Bruce? Is it to early? Yes. Yeah. I mean, mean, me and Ethan were talking the other day, uh, you said something about I don't remember the percentage. I'll let you say it, but it's, his it's, disapproval rating is insane. It's ninety five percent, and um, and Steve Bruce responded to that saying, you know, oh, that's just noise. Well, that's a pretty insane amount of noise. Ninety five percent. That's terrible. So, I I definitely think that um, with the consortium coming in, I don't think Steve Bruce would be a part of their plans at first. So yeah. definitely remove him and. Honestly, I'd probably, like you said, they're not going to track Mbappe right away. So I would probably say they go search into um, very talented players abroad and kind of attract them first and see if they can get yeah. higher up in the table. I think they should be looking to build off of uh, St. Maximin right now. That's the level that they need to be building around because he has proven himself in the has proven himself in the prim now. He's established at the club. He's a fan favorite. He is the player that will attract other players to join Newcastle because the rest of the squad is fairly lacking, you would say, uh, in the nicest way possible. Like, <laughs> they're not going to immediately be able... There's nobody really there besides St. Maximin that's going to attract other players that they want to play with. Um, so even if the project project itself has, like, accelerated, they will still have to build it up somewhat slowly. They can't immediately be like, okay, I'm going to spend this money so that we win the league next year. Like, no... You can spend quite a lot of money to improve the squad to maybe push for Europa League. I think they have the amount of money and they could attract that kind of quality player to push for Europe now. But I think like top four is still, they would still need time on that. Yeah. I mean, as far as winning the league is concerned, even in in what I would consider a slightly easier landscape too, it still took Man City five years and the last kick in the last second on the last day of the league to win a Premier League. Yeah. Like, so it's definitely not going to be an overnight thing, but I think five years down the line, and I tweeted this earlier, like five years down the line, I think Newcastle will be one of these sort of like upper echelon clubs, and I think they will surpass the likes of Spurs and maybe Arsenal. Arsenal's kind of a different entity because the ownership group is such a wild card. Um, yeah. But... I think, I'll, from my perspective at least, they'll definitely have perspa- surpassed Spurs um, as a I club. I think they'll, so. they'll definitely be pushing for top four at that point. It just depends on whether or not... Uh, it just depends on how the project is going at Arsenal, whether they have surpassed us completely. But um, I would hope by then we're also pushing for top four, but that could just be wishful thinking. Um, but that's where I think they'll be around. I think they have you know five seasons. You slowly attract players of higher and higher quality over those years i think you're looking at a pretty decent side yeah i agree and it's i mean the the one thing that we know for sure is it's going to be entertaining to watch um so that at the very least is is some consolation i think in reality as much as you could complain about this you know the morality of this or the lack thereof this is the world we live in now Uh, like yeah and if 
there's no such thing as like a an, an up morally upright billionaire. Like none of these yeah. owners, none of these owners are, you know, on the moral high ground. I mean, some are better than others, fine, but the reality yeah, but is. It's like, but that's even more philosophical. It's like, does it matter? Blah blah. blah. Right. It's like, how do you compare? But you know, it's kind of the it's it's proven to work, and uh, unfortunately, uh, I mean, you look at the top teams right now. Uh, in the top four, it's like, man. Sorry, I'm pulling up the table. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's the top four we expected, but yeah. Chelsea, uh, you've got Russian oil money. Uh, Liverpool, more, uh, you know, they've they've done it the right way, you would say, but yeah, it's not like more they're organic. Not owned. They're still owned by a billionaire. Like, they still have money to work with. They spend less for sure, and they sell. They're smarter uh, in the transfer window. But then you get Man City right below again. That's Saudi oil money. Uh, Man United is another one that you know has done it the right way, but they're just they're they, kind of an anomaly too, though, just because they're such a titan of history. Like yeah, so but it's like it's so proven to work. I mean, you think of the, what who are the teams in the Prem that are funded with oil money? It's Chelsea and Man City. Where are they? They're in the top four. Yeah. So if, if you can't beat them, then you have to join them. And then PSG, who's like apart from this last season, seven year reigning champions of France or whatever. Yeah. Like. Chelsea champions of Europe, by the way, like, so it is absolutely a proven model that in today's society, you have to invest financially to be successful. Um, now that being said, I will say there's, there is some hope. Now this is something I, I'm stealing this from another podcast. So, um, I didn't come up with this on my own, but there is, there are rays of hope. I mean, because if you look around Europe right now, the current champions of France are not PSG. The current champions of Spain are not the big two. The current champions of Italy are not Juventus. Um, the current champions of Germany are Bayern Munich. So let's you know, <laughs> let's not talk about that. But there are still ways to do this organically and authentically. Yeah. Potentially. I mean, we we've talked about. I mean, just having money itself will not improve Newcastle immediately. No. There's yeah. steps they have to take, and we also mentioned. You know, Liverpool and Man U, they have made it to the top following different methods. So it's not like this is the only proven method. It just is proven to work. It has the highest um, success rate, I think. Yeah. So, But it, I think it'll also depend. I mean, we could see changes to financial fair play. Um, I would assume no, <laughs> considering that kind of happened to Man City and then that got thrown out the window. But... Um, with more teams getting this funding, something will have to give either way. Well, so it's interesting you say that because there is this, there are whispers of this um, sort of the MLB model being introduced into the Premier League, or it might be the NBA model, I'm not sure. Um, this idea of a salary cap, but instead of it being yeah. a hard cap, it's a royalty or a luxury tax. I so think that's like, NBA model. Yeah. I think it is. So my if, dad actually talked to me about this before. Right, because in the MLB, there's no cap, right? Ethan, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, there is no no cap in the MLB. They are serious all the time. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, I'll, I'll get on baseball real quick. I mean, you see the Yankees. They're basically they basically got a bunch of their players off of struggling teams, and so like there is it's really like big market, small market stuff. Right. And then you see somewhere like the NHL where 
the model is a hard cap but with revenue sharing across all 30 teams so it's more clo- it's closer to what i would loosely describe as a socialist sporting model um yeah. and it, it encourages competition more and it absolutely does um and like you see smaller market teams um like Tampa Bay winning back-to-back trophies or like Winnipeg the smallest market in the league consistently being one of the best teams you know in one of the hardest divisions in the league so you know that kind of thing does actually work and I think this for the prem it's a hard cap would never work just because of the money that's in football like you can't regulate that yeah but I think this idea of a luxury tax where you say if you the super rich want to go over this cap you can but you have to pay into this luxury fund that's going to get dispersed to the rest of the league. So it's kind of like a hybrid of both models. Um, yeah. And that that would just benefit everyone, I think, really, because then, you know, these lower teams, so say your Norwiches, your sort of family-run, you know, small, low-investment teams, um, then receive money from the top teams benefiting as well, and that makes the league more competitive in the long run. Um so I think overall, if that, this may spur on some kind of change in that regard. Um, and yeah, that, I definitely think something has to give. They either, I mean, it's like, if nothing happens, then they are just allowing the further division between the most rich clubs and the the not as rich clubs. It's funny how sports is such a microcosm of real life. <laughs> like, like all of the things that we just talked about are like you could directly translate that to real life economic issues. Like, yeah, um, that's another philosophical thing. Like, why sports matter? Um, but so I think we can safely say that we've covered the off the pitch stuff now. I think in in a relatively good amount of detail. Um, so we'll move on to the on the pitch stuff from last weekend. Now that we are in uh, this garbage, doo-doo, crap international break, uh, to put it very eloquently, we have to uh, look back into the, the time capsule and see what was going on before. Um, and there's really only one place to start, so I'm going to come to Ethan um, with this Liverpool 2-2 Man City game because what an absolute peach of a match this was. Yeah, and... It's safe to say that both of those teams have one of the best players in the league in Mo Salah and Kevin De Bruyne. They're absolutely just world-class. Um, there was moments where I didn't get to see some of the matches. I was at the gym, so my phone wasn't on the Wi-Fi the whole time. But um, from what I saw, it was just end-to-end. The second half was probably the best half of football I had seen this whole season so far. So, I mean, what more can you say? Two of the best teams in the league. Yeah, and you mentioned there about Sala and De Bruyne. I there is a serious question for me. Like, how, where is Sala in the discussion of best player in the world? Um, because I don't think he I, gets talked about too often in that regard. But his record is absolutely ridiculous since rejoining the Brim. Yeah. Um, and he's. I mean, I think it would be. I think it would be ridiculous if he was not in the talk for Ballon d'Or. He should at least be in the discussion. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's won everything there is to win, pretty much at club level. Aside, yeah, aside from like national, but I mean, it's not that's not really in his. You can only control. carry, 
Egypt so far. Yeah. Right? Yeah, and okay, he hasn't won. I guess they haven't won either of the cup competitions, but who cares? Like, Maybe. I mean, <laughs> you know, <laughs> he's won the Premier Champions League. That's really all that matters. Yeah. He is the most Messi-like player I've ever seen that's not named Lionel Messi. I mean, that goal, like, yeah. nobody in the world other than Messi and Salah can score that goal. No yeah. one. Like, and I'm confident in saying that. Like, just the way, the frequency at which he touches the ball is ludicrous. Yeah. And, I mean, the goal was definitely the highlight, but, I mean, take a look at the assist, too. I mean, yeah. He- with the assist for the first goal, I think he dribbled past like three or four players with that one as well. He did. Granted, Cancelo put in an absolutely terrible challenge on him that should yeah. never be happening. But still, I mean, he can only beat what's put in front of him. So, I mean, yeah. And then Sadio Mane, of course, um, I think that was his 99th goal for Liverpool. So one away from being in the 100 club as well um, for the Premier League. Obviously, most of, or a decent chunk of those were with Southampton. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, this Liverpool team, if anything, we said, you know, we weren't sure how they were going to recoup from not spending the summer and, um, you know, was Van Dyke going to come back into things and, you know, Mane and Firmino not really firing at the top level. Salah, of course, was always there, but I mean, they could, they could easily win this, this season. Like, yeah, I, it's, I could see it as being a very real possibility. Um, I I think it's really difficult to compare Salah to De Bruyne uh, because if you ask me to pick who I'd rather have, you know, a good center attacking mid is just so invaluable because they lift up the entire team, really. Mm -hmm. Um, Not that Salah doesn't lift up the whole team, but as phenomenal as he is, I think De Bruyne has a larger effect on his teammates. But it's also an unfair comparison because that's not Salah's job. His job is to dribble past people and score goals so and that's what he does so um it's an interesting debate for sure because i don't know if it's a straight answer anymore uh i definitely i mean it was an easy pick for de bruyne in the past few years but it's not so easy no and let's let's take a minute and appreciate the fact that the i think the best pass in this game came from man city's goalkeeper this absolute <laughs> like 70 yard belter with the perfect amount of fade on it to land on the boot of Phil Foden like ridiculous absolutely absurd I mean this this just shows this could have been a Champions League final like the amount of quality that's on the pitch and like he does that consistently it's yeah genuinely it's ludicrous um so I I don't know what else you can say about this game because it's it just among the best football I've ever seen from the Premier League and, and genuinely really, really enjoyable to watch. Ethan, James Milner um, could easily have been sent off, though. Um, did you? What did you make of this challenge? Man, I don't know. I mean, we've already noticed that the refs, I mean, they've changed the VAR rules and they're going to let stuff ha- uh, go on more, but I don't know. I honestly don't know anymore. <laughs> That's all I can say. Uh, so I brought it up during the Arsenal game, but I think they are they are walking a incredibly fine line of trying to make the t- the game more tough and setting bad precedents. Yeah, because, you said this in the North London Derby too. Yeah, 
they they're setting some bad precedents for challenges in the future. It's encouraging some some bad behavior. I know Klopp has actually specifically talked about that. Um, I remember leading up to the to the Harvey uh, Harvey Elliott injury. Mm-hmm. A few games before that, they actually talked to Klopp about how the refs are a little more lenient this year, and he said. Um, if I wanted to watch my players get injured, I'd watch American football. Like you said, something along those lines. Yeah. Um, that the refs are encouraging um, some bad behavior. And then Harvey Elliott uh, had a nasty injury. Um, so, yeah, I think it's could be... It's, it's very... I mean, it's hard to say because you, you want to stop players from diving, but you don't want to... In- encourage injuries yeah it's like we've swung so far one way and now they're trying to overcorrect. like yeah we we went so far to the side of every little thing is a foul to now nothing is a foul like and it's yeah i think there's a lot of this overcorrection. so hopefully what that means is that three years from now or, or two years from now we'll be at the happy medium as far as what's a foul and what's a yellow card and we'll have some consistency now i you know the underlying assumption behind that is that we have competent referees, which is not an assumption I'm, comfor- <laughs> I'm comfortable with making. Um, but that point aside, maybe at least we'll get some consistency, even if the decisions are wrong. Um, so, yeah, I think that's that's probably the last point I had to talk about that uh, that game there. And you know, it's not that we want players to get sent off or, or booked, um, but it's just the safety of the players is a huge issue, but also the entertainment value is is a massive issue as well. Because if you have these players throwing themselves to the floor at every you know breath gust of wind, then it's an unbearable watch. So there yeah. is absolutely a balance. Sorry, Ethan, what were you gonna say? No, you're good. Uh, I was gonna say that there was one point where Liverpool actually could have gone on top and won the game. Um, the goal was gaping for Fabinho and an excellent challenge. I think it was. Was it Cancelo? It was Rodri. Rodri. Yeah. Okay, I couldn't tell because the freaking commentator said Diaz. And it was, yeah, and it was, was not like, Diaz. I was like, what? And so I was like, surely it's just another defender. But I guess it was Rodri. But that was such a clear, good clearance. The like, ground oh that God. he made up, they showed it like the angle from above like five seconds prior. And the ground that he had to make up to get to that ball was ridiculous. I really thought that was going to be a goal. I did too. And it would have been, but that was such a last-ditch effort. And that's what you like to see. Yeah. Bodies on the line at both ends. Um, great goals. Brilliant goalkeeping. Everything, really, you could ask for. Um, so I'm going to move sort of uh, backwards through time as we go <laughs> go to take a look at the, the rest of these games that happened, if I can find uh, what's going on. So the game just before that on the Sunday uh, was Crystal Palace and Leicester. Um, Ethan, I know yeah. you said you didn't have a great deal to talk about in this game, but you've definitely got to be pleased with the uh, the resilience shown by Palace here. I am. You know, from the get-go, though, I will say that we should have won this game pretty comfortably. Um, we looked the better team. Obviously, uh, Leicester without NDD, one of their most um, one of the first names on the team sheet, but. Uh, you know, we, we dominated for the most half, and um, I mentioned this last week that we start, need to start cutting out individual errors, and um, we had another one with Anderson at the back. He tried to tried to turn uh, Indianacho, 
uh, well, he had the ball and um, it got picked off of him and it was an easy goal. And then we just turned off for Vardy's second goal. So at that point, I'm like, okay, how did this happen? Because we were literally dominating. And I was hoping for a response from Veer, and he did that, um, bringing on Olise eventually. Um, I'm going to lose my mind if I ever see Ayu put on that shirt again, <laughs> because uh, as soon as Elise comes on, he looks 10 times better um, than Ayu ever did, and um, we saw that because he scored his first goal, and then um, Jeff Schlepp came on later, and it, it was only 48 seconds, and he scored uh, against his former team, so it, it was good to finally see uh, some resilience and uh, get back to getting a point, but um, these are the kind of games that going forward we just need to um take uh into our stride and just um if we're the better team we need to like close it out and probably pl- play our starting uh or have our best players starting and um i'm looking forward to Ezzy coming back he's uh, back in training i think and so he should be returning soon and we come to the point where it's like how are we going to fit all these good players in the same team because you can't play all of them and so um It'll be interesting to see, and I'm glad that we've got a lot of attacking players at our disposal now. Yeah, individual defensive errors is definitely not what I thought y'all were going to be struggling with, because you've been so good defensively in the past, and I thought the defensive signings you made were fantastic. I mean, I I, yeah. I think your back line is sorted. I mean, uh, Nathan Ferguson will be coming back soon as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got Tyreek Mitchell, who's you know vastly improved. He's been fantastic. Yeah. So I think, you know, I, I, I'm i hoping this is just um, residual damage from the Brighton game because I think that error um, from Guaida was just kind of... I think it snowballed into this game, maybe. Um, a little bit. And so I think it I think it's something that could be fixed just with time. I think it's... I don't think it's something that's going to be happening frequently. I think it's more of just a mental thing. Mm-hmm. Um with Elise, I mean, you would have to think. I understand from a from a manager major, managerial point, he was injured uh, previously, so you you don't want to, you know, you don't want to uh, you don't want to rush him back. Yeah, you don't want to rush him back. But you would think at this point he looks fit. Um, he looks better than the uh, other option being Ayu. So you would think after this game, because he got did he come on at half or did he come on later? I think he came on around the 60th minute. Okay. I guess only Vieira knows about his fitness, but you would yeah. think that that's at this point, that is the only thing holding him back from starting. Because he's definitely proven already that he is better than the alternative. Yeah, and Vieira's kind of talked about how he just kind of wants to ease Elise into the Premier League, which I get. But at this point, it's I use playing League One level football. So... <laughs> I, I need to, I need him to cut that out and step it up a little bit, because I feel like everyone who's been like getting on my nerves in the past is doing a little better. Um, Luca's been looking a lot better recently, so uh, don't get on my bad side, or I'll flame you on the podcast. So, <laughs> I, if you're listening, I'm gonna spank you so hard that you're gonna never put on the shirt. <laughs> Reese, I guess you just need to put on a palace shirt if you want that. <laughs> um... Place Ayu and play. Terribly on purpose so that you spanked me. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I, I actually was going to say another thing that um, I think one of the things that Vieira is having to balance, and for my money, is doing a, a, a pretty good job. I mean, obviously, yeah. Palace 
Palace's league position at this exact moment is probably not quite what you would hope, but I think, you know, this is one of those things where this is, I'm going to contrast this with Nuno a little bit. Like, Palace's results haven't been, I you know, the most ideal that you would hope for, but there's obvious signs of a game plan and there's obvious signs of improvement. And I think that's yeah. one of the the biggest things. The performances have been good even when they've lost. Right, and drawn. I think at this yeah. moment, the, the performances are more important than the results. Um, because I, I really don't think Palace are in, in any danger of going down this season. Um, so I think for, for the most part, it's kind of a free hit for Vieira to experiment with. I think the other thing is a lot of these players that he needs to bring in to integrate, and one of the reasons why he hasn't been so hasty to do so is that other than Connor Gallagher and Joachim Anderson, I don't, none of the new signings have, you know, full-blown Premier League experience either. And so I think right. the Prem being such a different game, these players are obviously capable of performing. It's more just getting them used to the speed and the pace of the game. So your likes of Edward, um, your likes of Elise, who comes from the championship, so he's familiar with English football, but, you know, at a, at a lower level. And then Gehi, same situation played really only at championship level um yeah and then will hughes i guess has, has had a fair amount of prem experience um but he quite he hasn't really featured at all has he um no he hasn't so. played at all um i could see him being like a replacement for james MacArthur, who's getting up there in age um he can only run so much so i'll say yeah that, but that, I, I agree sorry i was just gonna say that for me looks would look to be the next target area in the transfer market i think is that defensive midfield spot um yeah. or spots if you will depending on the formation um just because i think they would just want one because I, I i think a defensive midfielder would pair really well with gallagher because he's that true box to box yeah and then you would have to think that once as he's back you will play with a cam yeah yeah, yeah, it's I, the I ideal like, uh, like six, eight, ten combination. Yeah, like kind of that um, that Man U Pogba McTominay pairing. I, I don't know if McTominay's been starting, but in the past, I talked. We've talked about how they've they complement each other's styles because one's a true box to box and one's a true defensive midfielder. Recently, they've been starting McFred, and Pogba's been playing on the left side. <laughs> so, um, yeah, which is questionable at best, but yeah. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with that. I mean, it is, it does take time for players to catch up to speed. It's good to know that they are actually adjusting really well. Um, Gay's been doing really well so far. Um, Eduard, I know he's only scored those two goals, but um, every time he's looked deadly um, when he's on the ball, um, he's had a lot of shots on target compared to um, our other attacking options. Um, and I and I know this is like yeah, buckle down. You're a Premier League team. You should deal with it. Um, we re I think we have had one of the harder starts to the season. I mean, already playing Liverpool and Chelsea. Um, I know we beat y'all, but um, Spurs are always a hard game for us. Um, and I think we did well to draw with, I mean, at least draw with Brentford, uh, Leicester, and Brighton, and so on. Because, um, like, those are team or teams that you should probably look for a win. But as long as you don't lose, I think it's fine. Yeah. And, and, and we're with a new manager. So I think I, I'd say everyone at Palace right now is pretty happy with how things are going. Um, once we get this stride of a few games uh, with teams that are not in like the top six, I think we'll start showing uh, good results. Yeah. I talked Next about game the against Arsenal, side. by the way, right? Yeah. Yeah. That'll be a good it game. Is. I think we're talking about that mental 
Tiltside again. I think this game, if if the like play of game, if the play of the game had been reversed, like if y'all had been, because y'all went two down and then came back, right? Or was it one? It was two down. Yeah, it, was, yeah. goals. it was two down. Yeah. If it had been reversed, if you had scored two and then made two individual errors to draw, I think it could continue to snowball. But I think it being this way, where you made two early mistakes, but then you were able to come back, I think that's positive momentum. Mm-hmm. Either like either way, it's the same result, but it's positive momentum versus negative. And so I think that'll help uh, with the mental side of the team as Definitely. well. I agree. Right. So we'll we'll continue with our journey reversing through time, um, and come to the next game that I want to touch on that uh, from the Sunday, and that was the early kickoff Spurs versus Aston Villa. Um, Spurs getting a much needed win uh, at home. I think if we didn't win this game, I think it would have officially been like full on like headless chicken panic stations. Um, at Spurs because there there was some serious signs of, of dereliction there. Um, we preceded this game with a win in the Mickey Mouse's Nuts League um, against <laughs> against Inesh Mura, um, where Harry Kane scored a hat trick. Um, still hasn't scored in the Prem. Missed a few good chances in this game again. Don't really know where Kane's at to be honest with you. I think. Um, more and more by the day, it just looks like we should have sold him. Uh, because Not because I don't think he's going to score this season. He will come good, and he will score. But I just think mentally he's at that point where yeah. I'm not sure he's going to be able to come back from the fact that he probably was already prepared to move on from Spurs, and now he's still yeah. here um, in the midst of you know a really transitional period for the club. Um really more so even than it has been over the past few seasons so i mean that's definitely got to be the root of his gold drought i mean all players go through it it's always mental pretty much but i mean it's it's impossible to get that out of your mind i mean he had practically already said goodbye to the fans yeah i mean he he didn't show up to training that's how confident he was that he was going to get a move um so I, I do understand, and I don't really... Re- I actually rest more of the feet of that at, at the club than anything because, again, as I've talked about ad nauseum over the you know tenure that this podcast has happened, we just fail to sell players at the right time consistently. It's been an enormous problem for Spurs over the years and uh, looks like we, haven't, we still haven't figured that out. Um, but there were a lot of positives from this. The number one, and I think the one... The player's name who should be stapled to the team sheet uh, is Oliver Skip. The man is an absolute machine in midfield. Uh, He genuinely transforms the way Spurs look in midfield. I mean, compare this to Arsenal when he didn't start and Spurs had no midfield. Um, Yeah. Which was also part of the coach's instructions because if you go look, I would encourage anyone, by the way, if you haven't seen it, to go look at Jamie Carragher's analysis of the first Arsenal goal in the North London Derby. If you haven't, go go look it up on YouTube. Um, because Spurs vacated the midfield, and the, the game plan was always to just bypass the midfield in that game, and we got punished for it majorly. Yeah. I mean, you think about who was running the show for us, Smith-Rowe just, and Odegaard. Yeah, because they had, I mean, uh, literal acres to work with. Like, yeah. And then, I mean, the, y'all even made Jocko look like he was having a good game, which I don't necessarily think he was. He was just kind of existing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I didn't... I'd, 
you didn't notice him, which for Xhaka is probably a good thing, to be honest. Yeah. Like, and, um, yeah, so Skip comes back in, again, starts, does really, really well, uh, alongside Hoybier, who has, when, the other, this is the other thing, by the way, I think whenever Skip is on the pitch, we get the best side of Hoybier, because of course he's a great defensive midfielder, and we know that he can play the number six role beautifully, but for Denmark, when he's at his best, he plays eight, as a number eight, and he can go yeah. forward and create chances really well, and we saw that in this game, I mean, he was there to score, um, with a really nice finish, uh, so... Yeah, I think playing Skip unlocks the best from Hoybier as well. Ndombele started in a sort of bona fide number 10 role, which another thing, the shape of this, by the way, 4-2-3-1, back to conventional Spurs um, sort of wisdom, I suppose, is that 4-2-3-1 is the way to go. I want to talk on that later again, but Ndombele starting as number 10, which I don't think he is a number 10, um, and he wasn't great. I mean, he wasn't poor necessarily, but he was mostly just absent from the game. Um, and I honestly, he's one of these players, him and Delhi are these two players that I just don't really think fit anywhere in Spurs' ideal system. Like, I don't think there's a role that they will play that matches their skill set perfectly. Um, yeah. I think Lo is way more, uh, many, or like, uh, way more suited for that role that Ndombele was trying to play in this game. Um, yeah, I mean, you want a number 10 at this point to balance the midfield, and uh, Ndombele and Delhi at at this point, I know Delhi used to be kind of a number 10. Uh, slightly, yeah, he was always more of like a he's shadow striker. Yeah, but even now, he's more... Him and Ndombele are both kind of just attacking number 8s. Yeah. Um, which I think it just kind of imbalances the midfield. Uh, the way it's set up right now. Yeah, and I think the the role that we... the Ndombele's best skill set is progressive carries. Like, carrying the ball forward in situations where, you know, normally you would just see a sideways pass from someone like Winks or, or Skip or whoever. Um, but Hoybier is just better, in my opinion. Like, having Hoybier in that role just makes more sense than having Ndombele there, in my opinion. Um so, More consistent. Yeah, and not quite as much of a defensive liability. Um, yeah. So, again, I just don't know that Ndombele fits in. So we'll have to see how Nuno manages that particular thing. Delhi, at this point, I, I honestly think Delhi's Delhi's time as a Spurs as a Spurs player is is over. I think this week genuinely marked the end of Delhi's even feasibility as a Spurs player. And the reason I say that is because. Nuno showed some faith in him. Like he play, he starts him again. He started him against Arsenal. He was horrible, shocking, terrible, awful. Starts him again against Ines Mura. Captain against Ines Mura, by the way. Uh, we were okay in the first half. We scored two early goals in that game. We were all right. Whatever. You know, it's it's opposition that we should be dealing with comfortably. Delhi wasn't great. Delhi lost possession more than any other Spurs player in that game. He was pulled in the 55th minute, and as soon as he came off. Spurs score three goals, and it's a cakewalk. Like, then he doesn't start against Villa, doesn't come on against Villa, and it's our best performance of the season. So it's just, like, a huge nail in Delhi's coffin, in my opinion, and I think if he's ever going to revive his career, it's going to have to be not at Spurs. Um, which is sad, because I love Delhi Alley, but it just... I, I don't know what it is. I mean, if he's just mentally broken from all these years of being so close to it, I mean... Because other than Sun, who's kind of an anomaly and just loves Spurs for whatever reason, he just gets it. Like, he gets Spurs. Uh, Erickson 
is the the members of that like quadruple quartet of like the Spurs' best attacking years. Erickson's gone. Kane is gone mentally, and Delhi is just left to be broken, really. Um, and Sun obviously is an anomaly. But yeah, um, I know I'm waffling on like a muppet, but I'm gonna I'm coming to the end here. <laughs> The, the, the other thing is we transitioned to a 4-2-3-1 in this game, which is I like. I still just don't really see a tactical identity for Spurs. I don't see a blueprint of what's going to be successful for us going forward. Like, I haven't seen any consistent signs of patterns in what we're going to do to set up against teams. There's been certain instances, like the Man City game was a great tactical performance, but we were set up for that game. Like, that setup yeah. would not have worked in this Villa game. Um, so I just don't see any patterns in what is going to be the underlying tactical fabric of this team going forward. And the other thing, I want to clarify my position from last week because I've clarified it to myself, you know, like, off the pot. I've, I've realized what my position really is. Because last week I was saying, you know, I'm close to being Nuno out, I'm this and this, and Josh was kind of like, you know, that's super knee-jerk and you... you you know, need to give him time and all this stuff. And I, I agree with Josh. My position officially stated is this. I want Nuno to succeed, and I think sacking him now would be the wrong decision. However, I do not think he's the manager to take Spurs forward in the long term. Um, so, again, this appointment, I think, was born more out of necessity than desire because Spurs yeah. needed to appoint someone um, because as much as I love Ryan Mason, a season under him as manager would not have been successful. Um, and I think Spurs are just going to use Nuno as a short-termist sort of thing until we can find the right guy, which feels like a waste of time. But I honestly don't know that there's much of another option. So yeah. I think we'll see fairly soon whether or not Nuno is going to try and establish a tactical identity as well, because... That does come with time, especially after... I mean, it probably should have already started, but after the first few uh, results, I mean, uh, he's kind of in an experimental phase right now where he's just trying to find something that works. Right. Um, we've compared him to Arteta, it's, it's, and we've talked about how even when Arsenal was losing, we looked like there was something happening as far as tactical-wise, but in reality, we actually did go through probably three or four different formations just trying to figure out one that would stick true um and we only really found it uh probably halfway through last season once we brought smith rowan um so i the tactical identity i mean he probably should be demonstrating something even with uh formation changes but um i don't necessarily blame him as far as that goes because he is just probably in a in a state of trying to find something that will work well, and the weeks. circumstances have been garbage, to be fair to him, because you have this yeah. whole saga with Kane. You don't know you know, what's going to happen with him. Your best player, arguably, in the first three games, Steven Bergwijn, goes to international break and gets injured for six weeks. Um, yeah. Then you have this whole absolute farce of this South American uh, international break, like COVID protocol police thing where you lose three of your South American players, and now it's going to be four for the Newcastle game, by the way, because Emerson Royale got called up for Brazil. Um, 
no consistency for the South American players. So I'm obviously there's mitigating circumstances. Yeah. I mean, you can only set up uh, using what you're given. His squad has not been stable whatsoever. No. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm fully appreciative of that. And I think really last week was just a huge frustration for every Spurs fan, really. Um, but now my position has just shifted to I want him to succeed, but I, I just don't see enough, and I don't think he's a the right profile of manager to be the long-term successor uh, for this club. So I don't know what the – like I said last – I mean, I, I agree with what I said last week that pretty much whatever we do at this point is the wrong decision. Um, how, long, how long do you give him? Like, because so, if he's doing poorly come, you know, let's say December, but – uh, there's still not really any. Let's let's say there's not really anybody available still. Do you risk it and sack him, or do you give him the full season? What I'll say about that is there's been actually now this is a conveniently timed report, but it's from the Athletic, so I'm willing to believe that it's true. Um, there's a report that Nuno's contract, which is a two-year contract with an option to extend to a third year, has a dismissal clause after the first season that if he fails to re- fails to get top six after the end of the first season, we can terminate his contract without having to pay compensation. Um, which to me feels like the preparation for this to be a short-termist appointment. Yeah. Um, I mean, they're kind of expecting him not to get top six with that, with that in the contract. Either that or it's just a security net, really. I mean... Which either way, I'm I'm kind of fine with that being the plan. Um, it was Ornstein, by the way, that reported this for the Athletic, okay. so I'm really willing to believe that it's true. Um, yeah. And yeah, I I honestly I've seen whispers of this on Spurs Twitter. Nothing official. This is all just conjecture. But that Nuno was always meant to be Paratici's short-term appointment while he spent this season looking for the guy to take the project forward. Yeah. Um, that would, that clause makes sense in that case. I, I kind, kind of, of agree, like, yeah. If he gets top six, then hooray. If he doesn't, then um, we can replace him for free. <laughs> right. And and potentially with someone who matches more what the club's style is going to end up wanting, or what they want the style to be, you know, uh, for the duration of this Paratici director of football um reign essentially oh how, um, how low is too low though i mean it's it's very speculative but let's just say nuno is doing terribly like absolutely terribly at what point do you just say do you just pull the plug anyway despite this being a transition season anyway yeah i, th- I think if you're in the bottom half by christmas i think you probably just call it good um and give it to mason for another half season because yeah. Mason couldn't really do any worse than that, I don't think. I mean, so, yeah, for my for my money, I think if you're bottom half by Christmas, then you have to reevaluate. If you're in the top half at Christmas, then I say just let him ride it out to the end of the season, even if you're in ninth or 10th. Like, because yeah. at this point, to me, ninth and 13th are no different. Like, so if Spurs yeah. end up finishing ninth or we end up finishing 13th, obviously one of them is going to end up in us getting torched on social media whatever like but either way we're outside of europe like it's irrelevant it's completely irrelevant so 
yeah, that would be my completely arbitrary guideline <laughs> for my money. So anyway, yeah, I'll stop. Uh, I'll stop muppeting on about Spurs, and um, we'll go to the final game of Saturday, which is crossing North London lines. And I'll just really pass it off to Reese here because um, I said last week that uh, you know we shouldn't be too high on Arsenal. Um, because of how bad Spurs were in the North London Derby. And this week, I'm yeah. going to say we shouldn't be too low on them because Brighton are actually a really good team. <laughs> so, yeah. like, um, yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree. I don't have a whole lot to say about the game because it did in nil-nil. Um, I think a clean sheet is always good, especially for Arsenal. That's not something um, that we've had the luxury of the past few seasons. Um, and there were definitely chances in this game. I actually talked about this with Ethan because he asked me, how I felt the, about that nil-nil a couple days ago. And I, I basically said, I think a draw was definitely deserved, but whether it was going to be nil-nil or if it was going to be 2-2 just depended on whether or not the strikers could finish their dinner. Because right. in both cases, we both teams had chances that they probably should have finished, uh, but for one reason or another, it just wasn't going in. Um, so a draw is exactly what I expected in this game. Um, it just happened to be nil-nil in this case. Um, but yeah, I think... Brighton, obviously, we've talked about how they haven't had the hardest run of fixtures, but it's worth, I mean, anybody can win in the Prem. So getting results, even against teams that you should be beating, is not always the easiest thing to do. Um, especially, I mean, they've played a few teams that were not uh, the easiest by any means either. So, um you know, however they're getting these results and grinding them out, I think definitely going into this game, the goal was to just not lose. Because um, we are away as well. We don't, we've never had the best away record. Um, and I think not losing and then on top of that, keeping a clean sheet away is definitely huge for us. And it'll be good to bring that into the next game. Yeah. And I think I also... Um, no, I was going to talk about the the lineup, but the lineup was actually pretty good on our, our standpoint. We did actually see, though, I think for the first time this season, Aubameyang getting subbed off uh, for Lacazette. I don't think this was... And this isn't like a big deal. It's like, ooh, he got subbed off. But more of a more of a case of we finally saw Lacazette make an appearance this season. And I did, I did think um, he had a decent showing. Um, you know, he he definitely plays more of a target man. He drops back um, and tries to tries to orchestrate things more. And he actually had a pass that was fantastic, um, completely splitting the defense. Um, and I think it was Smith Rowe who was on the ball, and it was just an amazing recovery from the Brighton defense. I mean, he had somebody to pass it to, but then um, the Brighton defense completely cut him off. So he had to shoot, and he was at a tough angle. So even though it was, I think it was two-on-one, the defense was just so fantastic from Brighton that Smithrow couldn't pass it to um, whoever was open. I think it might have been Pepe. But, um, yeah, I mean, that was really the only standout moment from the Arsenal perspective, where we could have won the game there, but um, credit to credit to Brighton. They, they held strong in the defense. So, I think we just take the clean sheet into the next game. I don't know. Are we home or away, Ethan? Do you know? Um, seeing as that we've played our last two games at home, I would assume that y'all are, that this is a home game for y'all. Okay. Yeah, it's at the That'll Emirates. be big. I think taking, taking a clean sheet away straight into a game at home 
is going to be huge for us. Because, Monday night game, by the way. Yeah, we've got the fans back, and we're not coming off of a loss either. So I think it will definitely be uh, be an interesting game. It won't be easy. Uh, we've also lost slash drawn to Palace uh, quite a few times in recent memory. So, um, and y'all have improved drastically. So it'll be very interesting. Also, uh, Yera's return. So that'll be fun. It's sort of an interesting benchmark for both clubs, honestly. Because uh, yeah. at, at this stage, we kind of don't really know how good either of you are. So it's it's kind of a an interesting benchmark to see who's going to come out on top. Yeah. Um, and the other thing I wanted to mention, by the way, because I actually didn't see this anywhere. And one of, my, one of the people that uh, sits next to me in a couple of my classes mentioned to me that because he's he's like a he's an Arsenal fan, but only sort of like, you know, he doesn't really watch a ton. He just kind of keeps up on social media. And he was yeah. like, "Did you see that Jack is out for three months?" And I was like, "What? Like, no, I didn't. I completely missed this. Like, what happened?" Um, he came off in the North London derby, didn't he? Honestly, <laughs> I have no idea. I was so pissed during that game. I can't. I couldn't remember. Yeah, so. I think he may have. Let me let me look at the game since he. I'm but... completely forgetting. I do remember him getting injured. Um. Because, like, it seemed to just. I go think he com- did. I think he he came off for Lukonga in that game. Um, uh, let me pull it up on the Premier League app and see when it happened. Um. I definitely remember him getting injured, but I yeah he came off. I didn't realize it was for that long either. Eighty second. Uh, 82nd minute, yeah, he came off for Lukonga. But yeah, I when he said that, I was like, no way. But then I went and looked on Twitter, and yeah, it's like a like a tendon problem. He's been out for three yeah. months. And I don't remember them yeah. saying anything about it on the broadcast either. Like, when he came off, it just seemed like tired legs kind of thing, you know? Like, I, I, I vaguely remember him getting injured, but I don't remember what challenge it was. I'll be quite honest. Uh, I mean, I it was so it was late in the game, I don't think we... I, I think we no. were kind of tuned out at that point. Um, I also, I don't think it was necessarily, like, a malicious challenge. It just kind of happened. I do remember thinking, like, oh, he's injured. And I and then I read about it later, like, oh, this is how long he's out. But I just completely forgot. Yeah. As bad as this sounds, it might actually be a good thing for Sambi Lok- or for, yeah, Sambi Lokonga and, and Party to develop yeah. a... Uh, develop a partnership obviously I, you never want to see someone get injured but um yeah well i think um jaka he only started that game i think because uh i don't know if look or i think it was party party was out for that game wasn't he the, no, he, no he played in the north london he started i don't remember then i think somebody wasn't nest like completely fit maybe it was lakonga and he was only fit for a few minutes but um I think Lukonga is is was brought in to be Xhaka's replacement because he kind of fulfills the same role yeah. as a um, just number. I, I don't even know. I, I guess Xhaka is probably more defensive, but he's kind D- of I would a say deep, liability. Deep lying playmaker. Yeah, type. deep lying playmaker. Yeah, kind of what Ceballos was doing before he left. Yeah. Yeah, I forgot Danny Ceballos was a person. Um, yeah, playing does a trying to get hockey assists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I, I that one kind of went totally under the radar for me. But uh, I, I don't know. The one last question I had for you about Arsenal, and you, I was going to bring this up when you were talking about Lacazette, but um, 
does center forward become your next priority in the transfer market or is there another area that you're more concerned about yeah i think at this point um i guess you could argue argue for a more um a more experienced Jaka replacement and that way we don't have to throw Lukonga in right away uh, but that'll just depend on how he does this season. I think if he has a good season, then we can just stick him in. And then I would say, yes, we focus on a striker because as good as Aubameyang is, um, he's been showing signs this season and last season that he's falling off a little bit, and he is 31 now. So uh, it absolutely makes sense. And I don't think, at this point, I think even if we wanted to, it's just too late to rely on Lacazette because he's just been sitting on the bench for too long. Um so I think it, yeah, I think it'd be smart to start looking at a young but proven striker um, somewhere. <laughs> yeah, you're sort of. I mean, I'm gonna throw a name out. You're sort of Ivan Tony type. Um, yeah, that kind of. And we were linked with him supposedly, but um, I don't think that was our priority because you know we we have a bombing while he's still playing. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's definitely. I definitely. I'm not suggesting that it's like panic stations you need a center forward yeah, yeah. just that that's the next area that needs addressing i think um yeah but yeah i think uh, i think the other thing i want to mention real quick because ethan brought it up to me is we had been discussing i don't want to speculate too much but we've talked about how basuma has been out through injury oh but right ethan mentioned to me that supposedly there's rumors that um a Brighton player has been arrested for Well, that suspected... part was, that much was confirmed. Yeah, that one, but... it, all we know is a Brighton player has been arrested for suspicion of sexual assault, and the rumors right now are that it's Basuma, and that he is not out due to injury, and that instead it is out due to this. Which would be absolutely terrible if it's true. One, because, you know, that's just never something you want to see happen, but uh, in terms of their team. I mean, he was by far their like one of the first names. On he's. The team. I mean, he's bordering on world class, genuinely, and I don't yeah. say that lightly either. Like, he's ridiculously good. Um, yeah, and I don't think obviously he he doesn't get a pass for this. Just no, because no. he's good, but uh, but still, it's like it is something to think about that if this is true and that he is the player that in question for this, it could be very detrimental for their team because right. he is that he. I mean, he is their midfield really yeah and i I think almost i think genuinely every you know self-respecting brighton fan with a brain which ethan might say there's not many um but (laughs) they would all say you know if he is guilty then you know lock him up like send him away but um it is it is a huge blow if if that's the case um so yeah i i will we'll have to follow that one with a close close eye uh because i mean really as far as their start, unless it's someone, unless it's like a fringe fringe player that we haven't seen much from this season, he's really the only conspicuous absence um, from yeah. from their main sort of core of players. So odds are not looking good in his favor. Um, so we'll have to keep a close eye on that one. But I think we could probably leave uh, Arsenal and, and Brighton there. I think honestly we could probably leave the uh the match reviews there as far as i'm concerned um i do want to come to ethan for the highlight of the week as well uh we'll let the music roll 
you know, since we've brought this back, it's been, like, nostalgic. You know, I would sit there and watch every goal and decide. I completely forgot we brought it back. <laughs> <laughs> so, I didn't have one in mind, but, um... Oh, I did you have a freebie this week, honestly, with the Salah yeah, goal, if you want to take it. I would suggest it. Salah. Yeah. Probably the... Yeah, that's definitely right. Salah goal. I, you know... When I was watching all the highlights, I was like, dang. I was not even, like, focused. I was just, like, watching him and didn't even think about that. But, yeah, definitely the Salah goal because the way he just, like, turned out everybody and casually put it in the side was crazy. So that would definitely be my highlight of the week or I guess our highlight of the week. Yeah, sorry. I didn't. I, didn't, <laughs> was I wasn't trying to put you on blast. I was just. <laughs> no, you're good. Just, I, uh, I just completely forgot about it. And that's that's fair of you. I would like to to mention since we are in international break right now, we don't have to talk about it a whole lot. But for our uh, USA national fans, um, we are currently now top of our World Cup qualifying group. Hooray! Um, after a shaky start, and uh, Pepe is continuing to be an absolute monster for us. The Texas-born legend. Hello, yeah. like, yeah, Texas is the future of the USMNT boys. We got Weston McKinney. We got Ricardo Pepe. Um, that's probably it, but still. Um, <laughs> represent. Represent the Texas boys 100%. I looked to see because I, I, I saw Clint Dempsey tweeted about, like, oh, those Texas boys or something. And <laughs> I I was like, is he actually from Texas or is he just an FC Dallas player? But he is. He was born yeah. in El Paso. Um, so shout out to what El about, Paso. Um, I know he's not a starter anymore, but he this could just be an FC Dallas player. But. Uh, Reggie Cannon. Is I, I was just thinking about that too. Let me look. I don't. I actually don't think he is. I think I remember he looking at this once, but uh, yeah, he's from Chicago. So, okay. um, yeah. But either way, big massive ups to Ricardo Pepe. Three goals and two caps. Um, would love to see him. I mean, Spurs need a backup striker. Uh, <laughs> I'd love to see Goals him in the were definitely sometime. what we were struggling with too as far as the US national team goes um, yeah we haven't really had a consistent striker threat um, since, yeah, I mean, it's since like, Dempsey retired really yeah we've kind of cycled through Jesse Zardes ooh, no thanks yeah uh, not even really an out and out striker anyway so yeah Tim like, Weah also not really an out and out striker lots anymore. of injury problems for him too yeah so Josh Sargent, who is decent, but, you know, still relatively... Long way to go for him, too, yeah. So, if Pepe can be the man, then, you know, I'm more than than happy for a Texas boy to take up that mantle, yeah. Um, Yeah. I definitely was pretty nervous uh, with how we started, too, qualifying. Um, But to be top right now, I think, is is pretty big. It's definitely... uh, uh, maybe an indicator that the first few games were more mental rolling over from the last world cup qualifiers um also yeah. it could just be that our fixtures were easier this time but well the only thing i would say and i i'm of course going to be the one to bring up the pessimistic part of this um we still haven't played either of the big boys so yeah. you know we'll wait to. I mean Costa Rica. Honestly, I'm not even sure if you can class them as big boys anymore because a lot of their probably not. A lot of their players are kind of aging, but they are still one of the top three teams in Concacaf for sure. Um, 
So once we really once we play Mexico, we'll see where we stand. Um, yeah. As far as this Although, qualifying, is last concerned. two times we played them. True, under There's... slightly weird circumstances in both cases, but yeah, but still, still a win's a win. A possible indicator. Yeah, um, they do now have him and his back for real, though. So that's yeah. another thing to keep in mind. Um, but I'm excited to see. I don't know when that game actually is. Let me see. Is it this international break? Because if it is, that'd be exciting. Um, I feel like I would have heard about it if it I was. I also feel like that, but let's see. Because I think there's... We're doing this stupid thing for some reason now where there's three games in every international break, which we're just literally killing the players. But, uh, yeah, so Panama we play on Sunday, and then we do play Costa Rica on uh, the third, on Wednesday next Wednesday. So that'll be one to keep an eye on. And then... The, the real big thing is against Mexico November 12th um, is, when, is when we play Mexico in qualifying. So, yeah, and that's actually our last game of the group or our last game of the first round of the uh, group group stage because we play everyone home and away. Yeah. Um, so that's our last game of the, the group, and then we go to play everyone again. So after that, it's Jamaica. Um, but, yeah. Road to 2022 is looking promising so far. Um, hopefully, uh, I I just I hope to God we qualify because yeah. If we don't, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know what I'm gonna do as far as supporting the U.S. But anyway, another I'll just throw this as an aside because we've mentioned them on the podcast before. NHL season starting next week. This is not a hockey podcast, yeah. but we always have to keep keep a mention out for our boys. Um, we also just got tickets, so uh, yeah, we we'll did. The game um, be fun. Yeah, if any of the listeners are <laughs> by weird chance, you know, impossible odds. But if anybody's at the Stars Senators game um, in in Dallas, obviously not in Ottawa, because funnily enough, we actually play them in Ottawa before we play them in Dallas, which is super weird. I feel like, but yeah, um, yeah, we we will be there. Um, so very exciting stuff for us. Uh, first first game of the season for the Stars is on the 16th against the Rangers. So, uh, barring a severe injury crisis like we had last season, we should be nails on for the playoffs. Um, yeah. So, yeah, big Schedule's time, better too. big time stuff. And Rope Hints is back at full strength as well, which is huge. Um, our new look first line with Pavelski, Hints, and Robertson is uh, big, going to be big time this Yummy. season. So, yeah. Keep an eye out for the stars. We'll keep we'll we'll bring uh, regular updates at the we'll do a little uh, segment at the end of every podcast or something and keep keep updates on the uh, on the star season. But other than that, gentlemen, do we have anything else? Any other orders of business from either of you today? Don't think so. Then I will bring my final order of business, which is to say, thank you for joining me, Ethan. It's always good to uh, to see your lovely face every week. Thank you, my brother. Thank you for being a great host. <laughs> oh, I'm I'm something, all right. I'm something like that. I probably waffle on too much, but uh, someone who doesn't waffle and who is always uh, an eloquent speaker, the one and only Reese. Thank you, Reese, for thank joining you. us. Yeah. Yes. Um, and thank you to myself for joining as well after a p- absolute punishing yes, week. This week punished me. Um, yeah. But I'm here. I'm still alive. It's Friday. We've made it. So. This is just the beginning for me, too. Uh, I had one test this week. <laughs> Next week, I've got... Th- okay, this one's an online test, so it's okay. But I've got a test due on Monday. 
I have another test on Tuesday, and then the week after I have a test. Yeah. I don't remember what See, day. See, that was this week. This week for me, I had three tests this week, one of which was a midterm that counted for 30% of my grade. So, um, yeah. Luckily, none of my midterms were like that. Yeah, this week. This midterm, we have two midterms, which it's not a midterm then. I whatever. know. I They're hate both that. They're both worth like 12.5. So I did the math and I, like my two midterms and final combined, I would need like a 70, a 70, and a 72 to get an A. Oh, yeah. In so, the class. Yeah. Like. I hate. I kind of hate that benchmarking though. Like whenever you're like, "Oh, I just need an 85 and I'll be good," because then uh, you're like, see, "Bro, what if I don't get an 85?" It's like, what? <laughs> I love to. I I will do the math, and I I actually love to look at what I need to pass the class. Oh no, I do it. A, I do it too. It makes me feel but... better. And so I was looking, and I was like, cumulatively, I would need to do the math. I don't know what I would need on the test, but in terms of the scaling, I would need. Uh, 10 points cumulatively from all of my exams to get to pass the class so i'm 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 fairly certain you can get that just from showing up so i think yeah i think you're in good shape they're multiple choice if i if i guessed on every question i would get 10 points yeah you'd at least get i mean odds are you'd get at least a 25 so yeah i think you're good to go um yeah, so, and we finally, the last order of business is, well, I've said that about 40 times now, but the, the, we want to say thank you to the listeners as well. Um, we hope you're all out there not taking midterms, hopefully, uh, and, you know, continuing to uh, fight on. And uh, we love you all. Thank you for listening, and it's a goodbye from us. <laughs> <laughs>